You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. I'm excited today because we begin a brand new series called Upside Down Kingdom. <clears throat> and um, I love this because uh, it's all about the stories of Jesus. It's all about the life of Jesus, but told in some of the teachings. The greatest storyteller there ever was, was Jesus Christ. He was the perfect storyteller. Jesus gave us some of the most famous stories in the history of the world. And the number one way that Jesus taught was through parables. Parables make up a large part of how Jesus spoke. In fact, a third of all of Jesus' speaking, a third of all of his preaching was done through a series of short stories called parables. They were about five-minute stories. And depending on uh, who the scholar is or who the writer is, there's anywhere from 35 to 60 of them. Like, how can there be a big difference? That's because of whether they can they consider every one of them a repeat or if they consider every little story a parable. But we know for a fact there are at least 36 and maybe more. Now, so we're going to begin today and we're going to do a 36-week series on the... I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> like, oh, no. Now, we're going to take a look at some of them and all of these parables. We're just going to look at them for about a month. And uh, a lot of these parables, they deal with some of the toughest issues of life. The kingdom of God, what's heaven like, what's hell like, and who gets to go there. It's, uh, it deals with the very specific areas of the afterlife and eternal, focusing specifically on the kingdom of God. So if you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like, if you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, then, then let's, let's look at what Jesus has to say. In fact, the number one thing that Jesus preached was... The kingdom of God. He talked about the kingdom more than anything else. Uh, it's one of the most often quoted phrases that Jesus gave throughout the scriptures is this in Matthew. It's very simple. He says it all over the New Testament. Uh, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is my challenge to you today. Will you, will you listen today? Not just like listen, but will you hear what I'm going to say today? Jesus invites you today. If you have ears to hear, then listen to what I'm about to say. Because the parables are tricky. The parables are designed purposely to confuse you. You're like, what? Yes, that's true. And I'll explain that in just a minute. Now, what we find is a lot of these, they don't make sense. And we find that uh, a lot of these things about the kingdom, uh, they differ from ours, that basically the kingdom of God is not like a kingdom like ours. It is completely upside down to what we think the world should be like. So we're going to talk a few minutes. What I'm going to do first, we're going to talk a few minutes about the kingdom of God. Then we're going to talk a few minutes about the parables of God. And then we're going to look at one parable and we're going to unpack it about what it says about the kingdom. So let's first talk about Jesus, this strange king and the even stranger kingdom that he talks about. He talked about something that they never expected. Write this down about when it comes to the kingdom in the time of Christ, they expected an earthly kingdom. I've got some verses there in your scriptures. You can kind of look at them on your own. They expected Jesus to bring in some sort of revolutionary change in the governments of this world. They expected an overthrow of the current government of Rome and for there to be a new king actually sitting on a physical throne in Jerusalem, just like David did. In fact, just 150 years before Jesus there was a group of brothers called the Maccabeans and they went out to cleanse the area of Roman influence on the culture of the Jewish people. And they actually started this great war, the Maccabean War. And it lasted about seven years. And and they did not overthrow Rome, but they thought that the Maccabeans, that the eldest Maccabean was the Messiah. So just 150 years before Jesus, they thought the Messiah had come because he was starting a war against the culture. Now, ultimately, he was killed and the, uh, the, uh, the war was squelched, but the Jewish people still celebrate that time called Hanukkah. Hanukkah is actually the celebration of the Maccabean revolt because they're looking for the Messiah. 
They don't think that Jesus was it. They were expecting an earthly kingdom. Even his disciples did not get it until his resurrection. If we were alive then, we might be confused just like everyone else. Isaiah 9 says that the Messiah will establish an eternal kingdom greater than David's throne. So they're thinking earthly kingdom. In Luke 1, Mary was told that Jesus will be a king who will be a ruler greater than David. So even she thought until the resurrection that maybe Jesus was starting an earthly kingdom. In Matthew 2, the wise men came looking when Jesus was born for the king of the Jews. They themselves were looking for someone to set up an earthly kingdom. John the Baptist even preached that the kingdom of God is about to be established in the Messiah. And then Jesus came and he said, that's the one. He is the one. And Jesus preached the kingdom has arrived. The kingdom is here. So they were thinking, Jesus is going to establish this crazy, brand new, cool, godly kingdom with the Jewish people in charge. Jesus was raising the dead. He was standing against authorities. He was doing miracles. Nobody could stop him. They were ready for it. In fact, Peter, one of his disciples who was a zealot, he was one of those guys, he was called a zealot because he was one of those guys that was actually part of groups that, that sought to overthrow the government. He was a, a, would be considered a Roman terrorist because he would actually kind of overthrow and topple the government of Rome. He was a zealot. And Peter thought Jesus was going to do this kingdom thing. They were convinced. Well, here's what they got. They expected an earthly kingdom, but what they got was a spiritual kingdom. They got a spiritual kingdom. I got some verses here. You can take a look about the kingdom. See, the difference between a heavenly kingdom or a spiritual kingdom and an earthly kingdom is that an earthly king... An earthly kingdom is acquired and maintained by force. Every civilization on the earth has been started by force and is maintained by force. Even America today, our strength is in the power of our military. And we are the greatest nation on the earth because we have more missiles than anybody. And all our allies are people who have the next level of tier of power. So here's the deal. Earthly governments will always strive to control people. And this type of government, people fear and resist that kind of authority. So here's another difference. In a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that is spiritual is acquired and held by the service of its love and its care for its people. It's held by service and love. Status, authority, power, all of this in the spiritual kingdom, are found by serving others before ourselves. Now, this is so upside down. By loving those who hate us and by serving those who attack us, a spiritual kingdom is established. Now, that kind of authority is followed wholeheartedly, but very rarely is that the influence that we have. In fact, if you're a Christian, and a lot of Christians, particularly in the USA, they want to spread the influence of the kingdom, but you know how they tend to do it? You know what they lean towards? Christians in America, they lean towards political power and influence to spread the kingdom. But that is so unlike the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not about politics. It's not about laws. It's not about who's the president or who's our governor or who's our senator or who's our mayor or who's the councilman. A spiritual kingdom is established by love and service. It's so upside down. So the kingdom that they expected was an earthly one. And unfortunately, Christians, we do the same thing. But he came to establish a spiritual kingdom. So what is the deal with the kingdom? Has it come? Has it not come? Is it a now thing? Is it a future thing? Or Well, this is in your notes. The kingdom is a right now thing. And it is a not yet thing. Because Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. It has begun. I have showed up. The kingdom is here. And then there are exact moments, just chapters later, where Jesus said, the kingdom of God is coming and it has not yet arrived. So it's a mysterious thing. The kingdom is in us and it's still to come. And parables are God's way, is Jesus' ways of trying to explain 
the mystery of the kingdom to us. But yet they left a lot of people confused. Here's why. Check this out. It's no wonder. Mark chapter 4, verse 10, when he was alone, Jesus, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables because they were confused about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Huh? What? Isn't that the point? I mean, if if you go to preacher school, and they have schools for preachers, seminaries, Bible colleges, they, they have classes on how to preach like Jesus. And they're like, Jesus gave a lot of stories. He gave a lot of parables, so we need to preach like Jesus. You see, we miss, we miss the point here. Preachers are told to preach like Jesus using stories, but he used stories for the purpose of confusing people. He used parables so that purposely few would understand. So if, if I wanted to preach like Jesus, then what I would do is I would isolate my words so that only a few of you could get what I'm saying. Why would Jesus talk like this? Why are the parables given to confuse people? Well, we know a couple of things. We know for sure that he wants everybody to know him who does not know him. We know that. We know that Uh, We are sinful people. He is a holy God and our sin condemns us before him automatically. We know that. And we know that he loves every one of us so much that he gave his life, paid for our sin, took the punishment for our sins so that we might not be punished and be in relationship with him. We know that. But why would he purposely try to confuse people? Write this down. Parables were given to both hide the truth and reveal the truth. Parables were given to both hide and reveal the truth. See, those who are called to know and really want to know the truth will find understanding in him. But those who want stuff and who want to just be, you know, a good message, a good sermon, a good story to tell, then they're going to be confused or they're not going to get the richer or deeper meaning in it. So I got to ask you today, you know, we're prone like this. There's basically two types of people that listen to Jesus. There's the type that go, wow, great story, Jesus. And then they go home, honey, let me tell you this story. Jesus shared this great, let me tell you this story. And then they tell this story and then they put their own interpretation into it because it's a good story. And then there are those that hear the parables of Jesus and go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That is so confusing. I need to know more. Jesus explained to me more. I want to know more about this strange mystery of the kingdom. And we have the same thing in churches today. People come and go, man, that's a great message, Dad. That's a great message. Oh, good worship. Man, yeah, let's go to lunch. Let's go talk about what was talked about today. In isolating what God is trying to say, we turn it into something that's comfortable for us when the response hopefully will be, hmm, that's hard. That's tough. That's, I don't know if I quite get that. Is it really mean that? Jesus, teach me more. See, that's the response that, that we hope as pastors that people come out of a church with, not just with a high five, great story, good sermon. I feel good. I feel juiced. I got enough for another six more days or midweek service. We prone to seek the good stuff from God and ignore the tough stuff. Jesus often thinned the herd with the tough stuff. The parables separated those who wanted a slice of God to feel good and those who truly hungered for God. He said, you want to see the kingdom? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. What are we hungry for? The parables revealed who was hungry for God. So he said, you know, there are a lot of those who who just aren't going to get it, and it's not designed for them to get. But it's designed for those who want to know more. This is this is interesting. Mark 4.33, he continues with that idea. He says, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, 
He explained everything. So he purposely was using parables to hide the truth and to reveal the truth. Two things to understand about parables before we dive into our first one. Two things to understand is that parables, number one, were often misused and mistreated and misapplied. A lot of parables were are, are sometimes dissected to the point of how they dress, where they went, the place. I mean, it was so deep. So many people look at the parables as 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 more than what they mean. We need to read them the way they heard them. We need to imagine that we are sitting on that hill when Jesus began to preach the Sermon on the Mount. We need to imagine that we are in that crowd. There, there's interesting, there's a, there's a parable we may get to where Jesus actually had this crowd of about a thousand people following him. And there were so many people that he got out on a boat and he went out on the boat a little bit and he sat down in the boat while everyone else stood and he preached a parables and told stories to them about the kingdom while he sat and they stood. Now, here's an example. I think we'd have a lot less people sleeping in church if you're the one standing, and I was the one sitting, so let's try that today, all right? I'm just kidding. You're like, what? Thank you, Jonathan. He stood up. See, the way that we think about Jesus' preaching is so different than the way we preach. We got to imagine that we are in that crowd, and we've got to have the ears that they had. We got to think the way they thought. And a lot of times, parables are mistreated and misapplied. We're not to pour our meaning into them, but pour God's meaning out. And here's another problem with parables is that they, they're uh, or not a problem, but something to understand is that they're not intended to preach doctrine. Some people, they look at the parable as an allegory and they dissect every single detail and they make every detail mean something. Uh, but the parables are five-minute stories. They're meant to be big picture ideas of the kingdom of God. They don't create new doctrine. They preach existing ideas of what God already believes. Some people, they dissect them and they come out with these really strange beliefs about salvation, strange beliefs about God, strange beliefs about what it means to be a Christian and about heaven, strange beliefs. Parables are just snapshots of God's perspectives. We need to take them for what they are, not embellish them, not mistreat them, not misapply them, or create into them or out of them some sort of weird doctrine that shapes our worldview. They're meant to capture attention, connect, and transform lives in a matter matter of five minutes. We're going to read some of these parables. The longest parables were maybe 10-minute parables. Very, very short. They reveal the truth to those who are hungry for God, and they hide it from those who are not. So I ask you, if you have ears to hear, listen today. Are you hungry for God? If not, then go ahead and tune out. Enjoy the seats. That's what I love about the theater. Great seats. So the first parable we're going to look at today is a parable about the kingdom of grace. The kingdom of God, we're going to look at the grace of God. Let's dive into a strange little parable that talks about a place called Graceland. Anybody know where Graceland is? Here's a picture of it right here. Graceland. They've got, anybody been to Graceland? All right, when I'm talking about Graceland today, I'm not talking about a place in Tennessee. I'm not talking about the home of Elvis Presley. All right, I'm going to be talking about the kingdom of God, a Graceland. So let's dive into this story, interesting little story. It actually starts in Matthew 19. I want to give you a little review. Maybe you guys have known about this guy, a story about the rich young ruler. It's this young man, had a lot of money. We don't know if it was inherited or if he earned it, but he was a wealthy man. He was young. He came to Jesus, and he wanted to join the crew. He wanted to join Jesus' disciples group. And he wanted to know how he might make it to heaven and get eternal life. And I can imagine if I were the disciples, I'm like, oh, man, yeah, boy, we get a new budget. Finally, we get to upgrade those lights, right? Yes, here comes that rich guy joining the group. Yeah, no more beans and rice and rice and beans, baby. We get steak tonight, Jesus. It's interesting, I'm sure the disciples were like high-fiving. Man, we get to stay in some decent places now. No more sleeping on rocks. 
Here comes a rich young ruler. How can I join your crew, Jesus? How can I get to heaven? Well, Jesus, well, he said something, and he asked him to do something that I'm glad he doesn't tell everyone to do. In Matthew 19, 21, Jesus answered. He says, well, if you want to be perfect, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to hang out with me, he says, go sell your possessions, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And you can imagine the disciples going, Jesus, no, no, Jesus, just let him hang out and tithe a little bit. God, just let him, let us, you know, maybe we, God, the, Jesus, the verses say the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. That's an Old Testament verse. That's the verse the Christians use to try to take the money from from non-Christian people. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Well, if, if Jesus were to put that into action right now, he'd have said, all right, hey, man, just hang out with us, and you'll get it eventually. Now, Jesus said, really, really a hard word to him because he knew his idol was his money. He knew that the most important thing in his life was his possessions. Those are the things he couldn't let go of. So Jesus said, you know what? You want to be part of my life? You got to let go of everything that you hold on to so tightly. So go sell everything you have. Don't give it to us. Don't give it to the ministry. So give it to the poor. Jesus was like, hey, Jesus, ask for like some of it. Just get a little bit of it. See, Jesus wasn't here to make money. He wasn't here to, he didn't need his finances to set up an earthly kingdom because he came to set up a spiritual kingdom. Now, the disciples were quite confused at this moment because Jesus then said, right after he said this, they started to panic. We're like, what about us, Jesus? <laughs> we, Jesus, do you want me to sell everything? And Jesus, we don't have anything left. And they, they asked Jesus, can anybody even go to heaven, Jesus? Because there are people that they can't sell everything. They won't. Nobody can make it to heaven. So they asked him, who can really go to heaven then? And Jesus said, don't you worry about it. Because if, if anybody gives up anything for me, they'll get a hundred times back when they get in heaven. So now imagine the disciples were immediately going, all right. You know, all right, well, I gave up a boat. I gave up a fishing business that was valued at, you know, X amount of money and a hundred times that. Now, and, and here's what Jesus says. <laughs> and then he stops short and he says, but guys, verse 30, he says, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Confused yet, they were too. So what happens next, by the way, Jesus didn't speak in chapter form. The chapters were added in like 1400 AD. So for thousands of plus years, there were no chapters in the Bibles. There were no verses. They were created so that we could actually find places and find places quickly together. Well, the very next chapter, Jesus continues with the story. And he says, I know you're confused about this last first upside down way of thinking in the kingdom. So let me explain it to you using a parable. So that's what he does. And here we go, Matthew 20, verse 1. He says, the very next thing, for the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a landowner who went out in the early morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, early morning in, uh, in their tradition is, would be 6 a.m., and some of your translations actually have a form of 6 a.m. They'll say at a certain hour. So at 6 a.m., this landowner starts looking for laborers, okay? He looks for people to hire. Verse 2, he finds somebody and he agreed to pay this, uh, this hired workers. He agreed to pay these workers a denarius for the day and sent them into the vis- uh, vineyard. Now, a denarius is a full day's wage, whatever full day's wage would be for, you know, for like $15 an hour for a full day. Now, for them, a full day was not eight hours. For them, in the Jewish culture, a full day was six to six, 12 hours of work, a full day. So he says, I'm going to pay you a denarius, a decent, good you know, respectable wage for the day, a good wage. And they're like, yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, landowner. So about nine o'clock, three hours later in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. So I said, hey, 
you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. Everybody, if you have a Bible, circle whatever is right. All right? I'll take care of you. I'll set the price. I'm not telling you what it is, but if you come and work for me, I'll take care of you. Any work's better than no work, right? So they go. I like this. The next verse, so they went. And he went out again at about noon, three hours later, and at about three, three hours later after that, in the afternoon, and did the same thing. So at noon, he went out and saw a bunch of people doing nothing and said, hey, why don't you come to work? They said, cool, I'll do what's right. I'll pay you what's right. He did it again at three, saw a bunch of people standing around doing nothing. Hey, come work in my vineyard. I'll take care of you. I'll do what's right. I'll pay you what's right. They said, all right. So they did. He did it. And then, I like this. About five in the afternoon, 11 hours later, with only one hour left of work, he went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. They answered, he said to them, well, why don't you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll take care of you. Sounds like a plan. So when the evening came, 6 o'clock, quitting time, paycheck time, owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call all the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired going on to the first. So I need five people to help me out here. Five people, five people. All right, you two right here, Austin, come up. I need two grown-ups. Any grown-ups who would come and help me? Well, Jonathan, you're kind of a grown-up. Hey, Ryan, come on down. This is Ryan's uh, heading off to the service to, uh, this afternoon, so uh, let's have him uh, come down and help us. And uh, you know what? Let's honor him today, too. So come on down. All right, spread out a little bit. We don't really have any grown-ups, so to speak. Jonathan, you're the closest thing we got, I guess, and Ryan, you too. Hey, guys, spread out down here so that they can come on in. Come on down here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to imagine that you guys are the five laborers, okay? Just kind of, yeah, space yourself out just like this. And uh, Austin, I got you at six in the morning. So you have been sweating it, man. You have got blisters on your hands. You are tired. You showed up on time with her all day. You were working faithful, faithful one. You were there at six o'clock working all day, 12 hours of hard work. You're going to get paid. Hi, Kevin. Kevin came a little bit later, 9 o'clock, but that's still a pretty good day, isn't it? 9 o'clock, showed up, he's been working hard all day, probably got blisters on his hands as well. He's sweating. You ever sweat before? Okay, just checking. <laughs> Cherie, you came at uh, 12 o'clock, I think. So um, still a hard day's work, six hours. It's a long day, but you, gotta, you got to sleep in. Tough night the night before, got to sleep in, pretty good. You weren't out at the corner looking for work, but hey, you got hired anyhow. But six hours, lots of work, you're going to get paid. Jonathan, love you, late to the party, but three hours isn't bad, right? Three hours is still enough time to, to sweat, to know what's going on, to put some hard work in, to get things done and accomplished. Thank you for being here and working. You're going to get paid. Now, Ryan, he just got a shovel and uh, got his bag and tied his shoes before the, hey, time to come in. All right? You barely made it. Five o'clock, he picks you up. He takes you back. You get settled in. You get instructions. You pull a couple of those harvest field crop, uh, you know, whatever you're doing there. And you're, you know, you're pounding the wheat, whatever. Hey, time to come in. Oh, man, no sweat. You didn't break a sweat. You, you No blisters on your hand. Your clothes are clean. All right? But you're going to get paid, too. All right, so let's just imagine if the first guy said he was going to get a denarius, then uh, then let's see. Let's just say that a denarius is $5, all right? So here's what it says. What would you expect if I gave him, it's been in my pocket, so it's a little wet. So hey, let me give you a dry one. There you go. It'll dry before it gets to somebody else. Uh, hold up your $5 for a second. Let's just say $5 is a is a is a decent amount of money, right? So if I gave him $5, what mathematically should he get? 10, right? Well, I'm going to give you $5 too. Well, mathematically, how much should she get? How much? 15, right? Well, I'm going to give you 5 though. Okay? How much should this guy get? How much should Kevin get? 20 
5, 10, 15, 20? No, 25? What is it? 20? I'm giving you five, all right? Now, here's the guy who's been working all day. He should get a bonus, right? He should get $30 from me. But I'm going to give you $5 too, all right? You're pretty bummed out, right? You're pretty excited. (laughs) And you guys are like, hey, cool, whatever, right? Does that seem fair? Does that seem fair? It does not seem fair. Is that fair? Is that fair, Austin? No, why isn't it fair? Because you did more work and, well, you did more work. You were here longer. I mean, (laughs) Ryan and you, are you guys going to be friends? Probably not, right? You guys, (laughs) you're like, oh, yeah. Well, let's read the story because here's what happens. This is interesting. Well, the workers were hired who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each person, each person received a denarius. So, woohoo, for one hour, a full day's wage, right? For almost a full day, a full day's wage. For half a day, a full day's wage. For most the day, a full day's wage. And for a full day's wage, a full day's wage, right? That's what he handed out. Now, just like you guys think it's unfair, so did they. Well, they started calculating what's coming their way. And I'm sure this guy at the end was thinking, hey, yeah, boy, if he got a full day's denarius, I got five times a full day's denarius. I'm getting five days worth of work. I'm buying a new chariot today. (laughs) But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, he said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. He's like, come on, I deserve, I've worked most, I've worked harder, I've been sweating it out all day, and he's not even dirty. It's not even fair, God, landowner, but it is a parable about the kingdom of God, but he, the landowner, answered one of them. He says, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who hired... (laughs) Yeah, good one. Uh, He says, take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I give you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? That's the key to this parable. Are you envious because I am generous? And then he repeats it again. So the last will be first and the first will be last. And I'm sure the disciples were still scratching their head. So let's dissect this verse. And I'm going to take your denarius back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Hey, guys. Reach your hand out to Ryan for a second. Father, thank you so much for Ryan. Uh, Be with him, Lord, as he uh, goes off to training tomorrow. God, protect him. Draw him close to you. God, let him hear you. Let him uh, know that you are with him. And, uh, Father, I pray that you would help him to be uh, uh, consistent in the Scriptures and in prayer and with other Christians, Father, so that he can be a light to those that are not around him. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, Ryan. How long are you going to be gone? Uh, Three months. Three months. All right. Guys, give him a hug. Thank you, guys, so much. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, sure. Guys, this is a northern term for everybody, male and female. All right. Yeah, I'm from up north, so I call girls guys also. So many of you might be scratching your head like the disciples. Jesus was giving his disciples a picture of God's amazing goodness and amazing grace. Some people have used this parable as an example of last-minute conversions. People have said, hold on, I'm not living for God, and when I'm 40, I'm going to wait till I'm 70 and about to die. And if you're 70, it's only meaning someone who's really unhealthy. Because if you're 70, you probably got years to go, many, many years to go. The average person lives to be, uh, nowadays, 89, 90 years old. So that's pretty wild. Jesus guaranteed, or at least the Bible guarantees, a maximum of 120. So you'll rarely find anybody over 
120. So some people think, well, I'm going to wait till I'm about to die. I'm a young person. I want to, I want to party. I want to be stupid for a while. I want to act crazy. I want to, I want to get drunk. I want to sleep with as many people as I want. I just, you know, living for God. Maybe you don't want to do all those things, but you just don't want to surrender your life to God. Maybe you just want to do what you want to do, pursue the things you want to pursue. So you say, you know what? I'm going to do my thing. I believe God is real, but I'm going to do my thing. And then when I'm old and I know I'm about to die, I'm going to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And people will look at this past and say, well, even if you show up late to the party, you'll still make it to heaven and get the same thing everybody else does. That's not what this verse is about. That's not what this parable is about. In fact, in this parable, every one of these people that were asked to come to the vineyard were people who had never heard of the vineyard before and responded right away. What are you doing here? Well, nobody told us. We'll come. Okay, we will. So this is not about people who wait. This is about people who respond immediately, regardless of where they're at in their life. So let's establish that for a minute first. Think about it for just a second. Isn't it funny how a parable like this reveals our sinful nature? We get bummed out and we think, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean if I live to be a hundred years old and I gave my life at kids camp when I was eight and the guy who lives to be a hundred years old and gives his life to Christ the second before he dies that we're going to get the exact same thing. Man, that is uncool. You mean the, you mean me who's been a good person my whole life and that guy in prison who's done horrible things. If he gives his life to Christ, he's getting the same thing as me. Uncool. Unless it's someone in your family and then you think it's cool, right? Unless it's someone you care for, unless it's someone you love and then it's cool, but not me, not somebody else, not somebody you don't know. If it's somebody you you don't know or someone you hate, it's uncool. But if it's someone you love, someone you accept, right? Funny how this reveals our sinful nature. If I get or somebody I love gets, it's a great deal. God's good. He's awesome. But them, man, so uncool, God. Notice they accepted the offer as soon as they heard it, though late. This parable is actually about Graceland. It's about the kingdom of grace. Let me explain grace for a minute, and then we're going to talk about what this parable means. A couple of things about this parable. Grace is this. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Many of you guys have heard that before. Many of you don't. Uh, know what that means. It means grace is something. Here's what it means. Grace is something you don't deserve. It's something you can't earn, nor can you get it for nothing. Like what? I got that you don't deserve it and you can't earn it. But what do you mean? It costs something. Well, it costs a lot. I'm explain that in a minute. Ephesians 4, 2, 8, some people think, well, it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from ourselves, from yourselves, it's the gift of God. So some feel that this means that we can make a nod to God and live like hell, right? That we go, hey, God got it, it's by grace, thank you, now I can do what I want, live like I want, say what I want, go where I want, be who I want, because I've nod to God, now I can live like hell, I can do my thing, because it's by grace. That's what's known as antinomianism, that means free grace. That means no law. Basically, there is a whole group of, uh, of Christian groups that believe in this whole idea of nod to God and live like hell, where you can basically give your life to Christ, say a prayer, and actually become an atheist and still make it to heaven. I had a Bible college teacher who told me that very same thing. I said, now you're telling me that if someone gives their life to Jesus, says a prayer, acknowledges the cross and the resurrection and the blood of Christ, but yet down the road becomes a serial murderer or a serial rapist and an atheist, they'll still go to heaven? He said, absolutely, because it's not of ourselves. It's not of our works. It's of Christ and God's finished work. And I'm like, I I think you misunderstand this. Grace is not something for nothing. So Ephesians 2a tells us that we can't take credit for this. It says that this is something that is God's gracious offer, a gift. Grace is getting something far beyond our value, our worth, and what we deserve. Here's an, let me explain it in a couple of ways. A few years ago, I had a friend of mine come into my office Um, when I was at another church, this was 10 years, 11, 12 years ago, a guy comes into my office and, uh, we were 
just I was counting out uh, some money that that was handed into me for that was it was my money. I just want to clarify that it was my money, and I had a few hundred dollars there. And we were talking about a reimbursement and that sort of thing. And he says, "Hey, give me a hundred dollars." I said, "For what?" And he goes, "Trust me, just give me a hundred dollars." Now, if you knew my friend, you'd be like, "Okay." You know, because we were good friends. So I gave him $100, right? I gave him $100. This is my denarius. I gave him $100, and he said, open your hand, and he dropped keys into my hand. He sold me his Jeep for $100 right on the spot. I'm like, wow, man, that's pretty cool. And I, that red Jeep, that old nasty beat-up tomato that I drive around, it's a 94 Jeep. That's how I got that Jeep. A friend of mine sold me. Walked into my office, said, give me $100, and he dropped the keys in my hand, and I got a Jeep. Now, the Jeep's on its last leg. It's about to go into Jeep heaven. It's It's about to see Jeep Jesus. But that's how I got that Jeep. And I thought, you know what? That was grace. That was grace. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't afford it. But an offer was made. Jesus says, I'll forgive you. I'll adopt you. I'll transform your life. And you can spend eternity with me. Not for a nod to God, but Jesus asks us for something. He says, you got to trust me with this and you got to give it to me. Your life. I'll give you eternity, healing, forgiveness, grace, mercy. I will give you an eternity of health and wholeness and riches you can't imagine in the afterlife. But it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your life. I want your life. Trust me with your life and you will get this undeserved, unearnable value that is way more than you are valuable. You get way more in return. It's a gift. It's a gift of grace. It's unmerited favor where God offers to you something that you don't deserve. Imagine it like this. Imagine you're on death row and you deserve it. Imagine you're in prison, you're about to die, and just before you die, I come in and I say, I can get you out of prison. I can help you to live forever. You'll never die. You'll live forever in perfect health. You'll see a wealth in, in eternity that is far beyond your wildest imaginations. And if you give me your life, I'll take care of all your troubles, set you free. No one will ever come after you again. You'll be free. All you have to do is follow me out of here. Trust me with your life and follow me out of here. You coming? That's it. That's what Jesus says. In fact, the gospel, the kingdom of God is so clear. I've got verses in there. Unmerited favor, the grace of God is this. Come and follow me. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't help me to favor you over somebody else. It's unmerited how I've favored you, but I've called you and I picked you. Come follow me. That's the grace of God. And what God asks in return is for us to die to ourself. Is to die to our life, to die to our dreams, to die to our vision for our family and pick up his vision, his dream for our family. Grace, it's getting God's unmerited favor, the invite to receive something far beyond our value, worth, and what we deserve. So the parable is about Graceland. So with grace in mind, let's talk about this parable. In Graceland... Write this down. Those who respond to God's grace, those who follow, those who give them their life, who are in the kingdom of God, in Graceland, everyone gets more than they deserve. Everyone gets more than they deserve. The worker who started at 6 a.m. is still getting more than if he had no work at all. And to get work, to be invited to work, that was grace. To be invited To have a job with the vineyard keeper was grace. To be able to be a part of that community of work, to be a part of that family of ownership, that was grace. And he got more than if he was out of work and on his own. Think about this. We are in Texas. Imagine God's kingdom is Hawaii. Okay? Imagine God's kingdom is Hawaii. All we got to do is walk to the coast to San Diego and then swim 
from San Diego to Hawaii, and we make it to heaven. Yes, very clear. It's laid out one way. Just walk straight there and then swim the rest of the way. Can anyone do that? Can anyone do that? Come on now. Can anyone do that? No, it's a rhetorical question, right? Now, some will get farther than others. Some might make it to the Rockies. Some might make it to the California deserts. Some, they might make it a couple miles out to sea. But no matter how great an athlete, no one can do it. We will all fail. Every one of us. Some will get further than others, but no one can do it. Some will get more help than others. But we all, all of us, will deeply need life-saving help. Every one of us has failed and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Some more than others. Some of you know great grace because you have failed a lot. Some of you, you've made it over the Rockies. Some of you, you've made it through the desert on your own. Some of you, you've made it to the beach. But you're still drowning and sinking and dying and crying out for help because you're going to die without Jesus. Some of you, you couldn't make it out of Texas. Some of you, you failed so deeply, so far, so much. And you know what grace is like. But we all still fail miserably, and apart from the grace of God, we'll all perish in a sea of sin. Ephesians 4 says, verse 7, it says, But to each of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That means as Christ determined to hand it out. I don't know about you. I'm going to be honest with you. I've never been drunk. I've never been high. I've never abused my children. I've never beat my wife. I've never robbed a store. I've never taken a life. But I'm a wretched man. And I'm deeply in need of grace. And I'm so thankful for the grace of God that saves a wretch like me. In God's kingdom, some get more grace but we all get an amazing amount of God's grace. And I want us to do something real quick. I, I, I'm going to wrap up this message pretty quick, but I want us to stand up for just a second. And I want us to sing an old song, Amazing Grace, because I want us to know that no matter how much grace you've received, you've received way more than you deserve. Let's pray this. Let's sing this together. Amazing grace, how sweet. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Have a seat. Here's the second thing. In Graceland, no one gets shorthanded. No one gets shortchanged. No one gets cheated. In Graceland, no one's going to get shortchanged. You know that guy? I'm okay. That guy who was hired at 6 a.m., he was said he would get a denarius. And guess what he got? He got a denarius. God will keep his word to you. He will not cheat you. He will not rip you off. He will give you exactly what he said he will do. He is faithful. He always keeps his word. Third thing is this. In Graceland, some, however, will get an even better deal. Now, this is where it gets hard. Because remember, we live in Graceland, not Meritland. In Meritland, you get what you earn. But in Graceland, we all get what we don't deserve. And some get more. In John chapter 21, many of you guys know the story that at the resurrection, uh, you know, at the crucifixion of Jesus, Peter had denied Jesus three times and ran off, even cussed out a little girl, said, I don't know him, and kind of swore at her. When Jesus rose again from the dead, he took Peter aside and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, I like you. Peter said, uh, Jesus said, no, do you love me? And Peter responded with a type of love that's kind of like like, and he said, Jesus, you know, I like you. He said a third time, Peter, do you like me? 
And Peter says, Jesus, you know that I like you. Now, Jesus then said, Peter, what you have right now is a pretty shallow love for me, but one day you're going to get it. And he says, when you were a kid, you got to do what you wanted to do. But as you grow older, people are going to throw you in prison and they're going to tell you what to do. And you're going to end up dying for me. That's how, lo- how great your love for me is going to get. You're going to die for me one day. Now, if you could imagine Peter going, I don't know if I want to die. <laughs> because he just liked Jesus at that point, so to speak. So here comes John, the other apostle, the disciple, walks up. And Peter says this. He says, when Peter saw him, he asked, well, Lord, what about him? Is he going to die? Is is he going to have the same fate as I am? Is he going to be given the same things that I am? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive, alive until I return, what is it to you? You must follow me. And we do the same thing. We, We get this great mission or blessing or this calling from God, we get something from God and we go, this is great, God. And then we see somebody else come up and we go, God, what about him? I wanted what they got. What about them? Are they going to have to go through what I go through? Are they going to have to deal with what I'm going through? Are they going to have kid problems like my kids' problems are? Are they going to be out of work as long as I'm out of work? God, how come I'm still out of work and they already got a job? God, God, I don't understand. How come my marriage is falling apart, but they got a miracle? God, what about my life? And Jesus says, you know what? What is it to you? You must follow me. I want to tell you, John definitely got a better deal than Peter. John's the only disciple out of the 12 that actually lived until he died. 11 of them were martyred, were put to death. But in heaven, Peter realized... And they both got a great reward. And they both got greater grace than they deserved. Here's the fourth thing. I want to wrap it up with this thought. Is that you'll never discover Graceland infected with envy. And that verse in that parable, he says, you know, what is it to you what I do with my money? I can do what I want. Don't worry about my generosity. Don't worry about my grace. Don't be so envious of how much I give my grace out to those around you. Got some additional verses there. I don't want to warn you. Beware of the cancer of envy. Understand this. All envy is caused by comparison. It's comparing our blessing to someone else's. It's not because we get a bad deal, but because they got a better deal, right? Well, God, I wanted that. It's not as big as mine. It's not as nice as mine. It's not as good looking. It's not as cool as mine. I want that. Hebrews 12, 15, the writer says, see to it that no one fails to abstain or to obtain. That means to understand the grace of God. Make sure people understand the grace of God. He says that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. He says, man, if you can understand grace, if you can understand God's generous grace, unmerited favor and offer and invite that he gave to you, apart from comparing yourself to others, you'll be free. But if you spend your whole life comparing your lot in life to the other guy's lot in life, your hand that you've been dealt and their hand that they've been dealt, then you'll be bitter and and it might even cost you your faith in God. Make sure you understand and obtain this understanding of grace. Facebook envy, you ever heard of it? You know, people who spend an average of more than two hours on Facebook a day tend to be more depressed than anybody else because you photo stalk. You're digging through photos and reading three years worth of posts to see if they've always been that happy. Comparing your life to their life, their vacations to your vacations, their photoshopped photos to your Photoshop photos. And you think, God, why don't I have a blessed family like that? God, why why can't I do those things, be like that, look like that, live like that, have that kind of faith? There are times when you won't understand what's going on in your life. That's not envy. That's just frustration with, with a tough time in your life. And God can handle that. And he wants you to talk to him about it. But this is about comparing your life to others. Here's a video that's a, like the parable that we just read.
Hey, guys, I got you each a gift. No way, Jesus. Why? Awesome. Well, I just love you guys, so I wanted to get you something. <laughs> so nice. Laura, you first. Wow, this is so exciting. Oh, will you look at this? A little eight-ounce can of Coke? This is perfect for me. I looked everywhere to find a gift for you, and this just seemed to fit. I love it. Drew? Yeah, your turn. All right. <laughs> No way, Jesus. Seriously? Oh, yeah. 20 ounces of Coke? Yeah, baby. Woo! This is awesome. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. You're welcome. Laura, we got to go show Richard our gifts. Come on. Okay. Hey, Laura, is there a problem? No. I mean, well, yeah, kind of, you know. It's just that every time you give people gifts, you always give everyone else more than you give me. What do you mean? I mean, like, I open my gift and, oh, cute, eight ounces, and then Drew opens his gift and, hello, 20 ounces. Oh, I know what you mean. Well, that gift is for Drew. Well, that's what I want. Uh, go get it for me. Okay, if that's what you want. Yeah. I got a liter. Whoa. I know it's one liter of God's sweet goodness. Jesus gave it to me. He did? Yes. Okay, you know what? You're going to meet somebody with a bigger bottle, and you are going to be so mad. Laura, check it out. I got an upgrade. Coke 3.0. That is awesome. I know. Well, isn't that just great? Yeah. Hey, Jesus, you rock. Yeah. Thanks, what Drew. What is wrong with you? Why are you holding back your best from me? I gave you my best. Don't you see what's happening here? You're letting everyone else's gifts steal your joy. No, Jesus, you are stealing my joy by giving everyone else more than you give me. Laura, I picked this gift out for you. That's what I wanted you to see. I don't care. Until you can look past this, all you're going to see is a can of Coke. I think that's a great retelling of the parable that we just read. Envy will eat away at our gratitude. Proverbs 14.30 says, Envy rots the bones. We will never be set free. We will never understand grace without gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. In every circumstance, in everything that you've been given, in every situation you find yourself in, give thanks. Not for the circumstance, but for the things that God has done in the midst of that. Some of you are battling this right now today. You have families that are torn apart over inheritance monies. You have a lack of fairness at work, and you are angry siblings at home who feel like they're always treated better. Your lot in life is not fair. Comparing yourself does it. It brings envy. This parable is not about the other guy. This parable is about us. We're the guy at 6 a.m and at 9 a.m. and at 12 a.m. Very few of us are the 5 o'clock guys. Most of us have worked. Most of us have been trying to serve God. Many of you, you're, you're late. I want you to know, you know what? The invitation is, what are you doing standing around? Come to the harvest. He has a work for you, a great mission in your life. He has something wonderful for you. And this is an invitation no matter where you are in your life. Come and listen just like they did right away. But some of you, you've been serving God for a while and you're upset and you're angry and you felt this. It's time to surrender what you're holding on to because the kingdom is upside down. I went in with this verse. The kingdom, verse uh, 23 of Luke 9, it says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. mean you got to die to yourself that's the invitation come and follow me but you got to die verse 24 for whoever wants to save his life well you got to lose it and whoever loses his life for me it's going to be saved what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose and forfeit the very self God's grace is here for you it's upside down the way the kingdom works it's not the way that we might imagine I want you to know that God cares deeply for you and he is giving his and extending his grace to all of us. Some of us more than others. And I'm thankful for that. Let's pray. God, thank you that your grace is a mystery and that your goodness is a mystery. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be envious, 
Lord, that we'd be broken and humbled by your goodness to give us good things. And Lord, if there's anyone late to the party, God, if there's anyone late in the day, the invitation is out to you. Come, come to the harvest. Come to the table. Come and die to yourself and experience the life of God that he is offering to you. If that's you today, I want to lead you in a prayer. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, for calling me, for inviting me. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to walk with you in this upside down kingdom. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.